0: Good evening, church. Oops. Hello? Can you guys all hear me? Good evening. Um, children can be dismissed at this time for Sunday school. All right. Um, so we're going to get into the scripture of the day, but before we do that, um, I just want to welcome all of you guys to pray for yourselves and for your neighbors to receive the word today. Father, thank you, for, thank you for your church, and thank you for the freedom to gather in the name of Jesus, because we remember that there are places in this world where people do not yet have that freedom, um, but we trust in you, and we trust in your word, and that for the sake of your name, your church will be found among all peoples, and you will come again. Father, I pray for um, our our people tonight here, Father, that out of your overflow that you would um, just empower and enable us to receive your word and to receive nourishment tonight. And if there are any unbelievers among us tonight, Lord, I pray for just the gift of sight and a vision that they would see um, the infinite and surpassing worth of Jesus, Lord. And we just confess that we love you. We want to hear from you. We want to meet with you, Father. May you be glorified in our gathering, and may you be glorified in our worship, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we'll be in Matthew tonight. So there are Bibles in front of you, if you didn't um, bring one with you tonight. Um, we are, are in Matthew five, fourteen through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. We're not going to exegete this text tonight. We're going to springboard from it. So... uh, in that text, who's, who's the light of the world, astonishingly? Yeah. yeah, you are. What are you supposed to do? Shine. shine. And if you shine well, what's the outcome? Yeah. yeah, God gets glory. From who? Whom. Yeah, others. From observers. So you act in a certain way, others respond, God gets glory. There's a There's a triad of participants in this dynamic that's happening and I'm going to reflect on that in a little different way in a, in a few moments let me go back to what you said in your opening remarks about your devotional reading and stuff something that's helped me and you just had us sing about it in the word that said your word is food for the famished soul I remember as a teenager being disappointed at the very thing you talked about I'd read and i think what did, what did I read three days ago uh, I don't know I can't remember what I you know, same with scripture memory. I'd work on memorizing scripture, and then I'd memorize this verse, and I memorize this verse. And now, what was that verse? I, and it was so discouraging to think, "What's the use? What's the use?" Wrong paradigm to think of it as uh, intellectual usefulness. Rather, what really helped me was to think of it as food. It's food. My soul needs nourishment regularly. So have I had my nourishment? I need to read some. There's some nourishment even in Leviticus. I might not like those particular vitamins. (laughs) That might be the broccoli of the Bible. I don't know, but I need that, and so I'm going to read it. I might not even get it all. In fact, I promise myself I won't get it all. The Bible says about itself we won't comprehend it all. It's an incomprehensible God. He's, he's extremely complicated. A lot of paradox in God. You, you, you serve to be great. You die to live. Just paradoxes all over the Bible. And so we're not going to understand everything, but you don't have to understand the food you eat. Just eat it, right? Week ago Thursday, what did you have for lunch? Okay, one guy knows. One, one of you knows. The rest of us, we don't know. But did it not nourish us when we ate it? Yes, it did. might still be nourishing us, still, even though we're not consciously aware of it. And so that's really helped me with Scripture memory and Scripture reading is to think it's food. I've got to have a snack. I've got to have a meal. I've got to gorge myself once in a while. I have a Thanksgiving dinner. And so, okay, that's not my subject. And when do you want me to be done here? Just you can just say. So six six ten? Six ten. Okay, start reminding me when it's six oh five and we'll and we'll get there. Okay. This is my assigned topic, and that's why it's not going to be an exegesis of the Matthew text that we just read. So you can see there, practicing affirmation, God-centered praise of those who are not God. Um, my contention is that God is at work doing good things everywhere. And our job is to recognize it and to call it out. And some of the good that He's doing, He's doing in other people. And He won't get the glory from it if we don't see it and say, hey, that's, that's, hmm, that's good. God's doing a good thing there, in believer and unbeliever alike. I'll try to elaborate that as I go along, and pardon me if I talk a little fast, because I've got 40 minutes. Um, Practicing affirmation is not about self-esteem. Some people can look at the title and say, oh, it's another book on self-esteem. No, it is not that. We have a plague of self-esteem in our culture. We have too much esteem for self. This is not that. Jails are overrun with people who have plenty of self-esteem. Self is the only person they esteem. I took your stuff because I esteem me. I raped you because I esteem me. I murdered him because I esteem me. Me, me, me. That's the theme song of jail. It's becoming the theme song of our entitlement culture, demanding my rights. The Bible doesn't talk about rights. It's quiet in here. There must be game in the area. Asylums are full of people who are all self, 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 self. Chesterton wrote about that. He was having a discussion with a guy, and he looked at some wealthy guy, and he said, now there's a guy who, um, who knows himself or something like that. And Chesterton said, I'll show you the people who are full of themselves. It's the crazy people. It's, it's, that's who they talk about. That's who they think about. They are not other-centric. They're not sensitive to others. They're not tuned into others. They're not gracious toward others. They're selfish. Their world is all inward, all me, me, me. Well, this is not about that. Folly and sin conspire to make us desire to be made much of, thinking that we deserve to be loved. This is idolatrous and deadly. So when I have a title like Practicing Affirmation, I'm not saying that we should all start looking around and say, hey, you you know, you should practice this toward me. You should practice this toward me. That's not the point here. We'll try to make that plain as we go forward. Practicing affirmation is not about self-esteem. It's about esteeming the work of God in the lives of people because He's, he's at work in them. So if we, if these, okay, that window is not um, translucent. That window is transparent. We can look out there see a little piece of sky out there, and we can look out the window and we can say the heavens out there are declaring the glory of God. We might have to stop and think about how are they doing that, but the Bible says they are doing that. They're declaring the glory of God. But he doesn't get as much glory from those heavens out there if we don't stop and look at them and say, wow, God, you put those out there. You do atmospheric wonders. You do neat things with hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and ozone layers and sunsets and sunrises and cumulus nimbus and stratus and whatever, whatever all those clouds that have names that some of you know. Uh... He gets more glory if we say so. Consciously, verbally say, neat sky out there, God. So it is with what He's doing in people. It's called common grace. He's doing stuff in everybody. The God who created everything does not dwell in tents or tabernacles made by human hands, like this isn't called Powderhorn Baptist anymore. It's just Jubilee. What is this building called? 1633 center, okay, yes. God, the God who created everything does not dwell in 1633 centers made by human hands, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, for He gives to all, saint and sinner, life and breath and everything else. And He gets more honor for all those things that He gives everyone if we call it out and we say so. So we were, I was in a meeting yesterday morning and talking about somebody with uh, pancreatic cancer, and we prayed for this person that has pancreatic cancer, which is a very aggressive, very deadly cancer, and, and at the end of that, I said, now, when is the last time you thanked God for your pancreas specifically? So right now, can you say, thank God for my pancreas? Okay, He gets more honor from us when we do that. Now… He gave pancreases not just to believers. He gave it to unbelievers. And similarly, he's given his image, everybody's stamped in the image of God, saint and sinner. Your children, before they come to Christ, are made in the image of God as human beings. And that image is glory worthy. He ought to get glory for that image that he's put in them, especially when they start reflecting things that look a little bit Christ-like. So you have these two unbelieving yet little rascals, siblings, and one of them shares her toy with her sister. It's a good thing to say, that's good. Sharing is good. Nobody shares more than God. When you share, that's godlike. God gets more glory when we talk that way. So practicing affirmation is about esteeming the work of God in the lives of people. That little sibling wouldn't give unless God did something there. might not be a salvific thing yet, but He did a thing. Life, breath, everything else. Everything else. We can thank God for everything. Now, many people quote 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, but it doesn't say for everything. So you're skiing down the hill, you break one leg. Well, in that situation, you can thank God you didn't break both legs. But Ephesians 5.20 says, always for everything. There's a double emphasis for everything. Your pancreas, your failing pancreas. God is doing something glorious all the time, everywhere, without exception. And he gets more honor if we call it out and we say so. And this is, the topic tonight is how to do it in the lives of the people around us. And I better keep going or we're going to run out of time. So, you're not the author of your story, and your story isn't mainly about you. My story isn't mainly about me. It's about God. And he he wants to get the honor for the stuff that he's doing. He's underived. I'm derived. He's independent. I'm totally dependent for life and breath and everything else, every blink of my eye Being able to stand up here, upright, clothed, and in my somewhat right mind uh, is a God thing. He's being gracious to me. Now, I think that the practice of affirmation in relationships is not the main thing in your relationships, but it is sure a key thing. Um, There are other things more important than practicing affirmation, but this is essential. It's more important that you be a Christian. It's more important that you be indwelt dwelt by the Holy Spirit. There are more important things we could talk about than this subject tonight, but this is essential. I think it's non-optional, and it's universal. Here's what I mean. A key. So in my pocket, I've got a key. I would probably guess that everybody here over the age of 15 or so has a key with them. So here's a, here's a house key. Now, this is not the main thing to my house. I think you would agree. It's not the main thing to my house. When we bought the house, we didn't say, wait a minute, we're not going to close on this until we can see the key. We want to look at the key, we want to turn it over, we want to smell it, we want to, I don't know, bite it or whatever you do with a key. But even if the rest of the, and we had the rest of the house inspected, I mean, you have the furnace inspected and the roof inspected and all that kind of stuff. That's important. Walls, those are important. Electricity, plumbing, that's way more important than this. Without this, I can't have all the rest of that. So one night after an elder meeting, I come home with Kenny Stokes. Many of you know who Kenny Stokes is, and uh, get Vicky's gone. She's out of town somewhere, and I, Kenny drops me off, and I do one of these. Uh huh. Oh no, I'm locked out of my house. And that up there on the second floor, that bedroom up there, that's my bedroom and those are my blankets and that's my pillow up there and it's midnight and I could lay down up there if only I could get in. And that kitchen right there has a bowl of cereal in it, no doubt, that would just go down really well right now and help me sleep when I got up to the second floor. And I can't have that bowl of cereal because I don't have the key. So Kenny and I begin disassembling a window on my house at midnight in South Minneapolis. I think if a police officer had driven by, it'd be hard to explain. Uh, car your car. You have a car key? It's not the main thing about your car. The the powertrain, steering wheel, brakes, way more important. But have you ever locked your key in your car or lost your key? Where is my car key? That's my car. It's sitting right there. I can see it. I can touch it, and I can't have it. Well, so it is with relationships that you have. They're yours. They're your relationship, and you can't have them if you don't practice affirmation. It's universal. In my almost 40 years of pastoring, every marriage that's come apart, without exception, they stopped practicing affirmation. They stopped saying the good things that they saw in each other, started keeping score about the bad things in each other. Your dog likes you better if you praise your dog. Way to go, Rover. Good dog. Your relationship with God thrives on affirmation. He inhabits the praises of His people. That's where He lives He lives in your affirmations of Him. This is universal. It helps parents with children. It helps supervisors with workers. It helps workers with supervisors. It helps children with parents. It's it's in play all the time everywhere. And when I say it's universal and it's non-optional, here's what I mean. You can say, well, I'm not very good at this. I wasn't raised this way and, I, you know, it's going to take work and I'm just not good at it. I just don't think I'm going to get good at it. I'm not going to do it. You can say that. You can opt out in that sense, but you can't opt out of the consequences that will come from not doing it. About 85% of teenagers in Western culture go through something called blackout, where they tune out their parents. The Root of it? Parents don't commend anything. So, do you want your teenager to keep the door open to you? Turn up the commendation. 610 is coming. i got to keep moving here. Okay, affirmation is not optional. That is, doing it and not doing it both produce an effect, but they don't produce the same effect. There's a consequence as to whether you do this or don't do this very well, and I think you already know how to do it. Fire not stoked goes out, yes? Refrigerator unplugged rots the eggs, yes? Oh, I can tell stories. A garden not tended produces weeds, not vegetables. Agreed? Okay, so... Affirmation is the fire-stoking, refrigerator-electrifying, garden-tending aspect of relationships. It's not optional. I mean, you can opt to not plug in your refrigerator. You can. You can choose that. You can say, I'm not going to plug in my refrigerator. It uses electricity. <laughs> okay, but you're going to get what you're going to get principles of affirmation apply universally to all human relationships, including your relationship with God. I'm going to move on. Mistake. Failing to grasp the connection between lack of affirmation and one's own reputation. Part of your name, and the Bible says a good name is is to be desired more than great riches. Part of your name, your reputation, the impression people have of you, the people who know you, part of it, a significant part of it, is whether or not you do this, practicing of affirmation. So, now, the mercy of the Lord to you in affirming others. How am I doing on time here? I, I, uh, 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 okay. You see the three parties in red there, the Lord, you, and others. All are involved in this practice of affirmation. It's not strictly a horizontal thing where I affirm Vicki, she's happy, and that's it, and God doesn't care. That's not the way this works. So, here's a text from 2 Timothy 1, 16 through 18. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for He often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But... When he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. Then you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. Now, let me try to highlight some of the players and interaction in this text by underlining them in red here. You see that the Lord is a granter of mercy. You see that in the underlying places? He grants mercy. That's what he does. That's his part, and he's the best at it. And Onesiphorus has a role. He refreshes Paul. Onesphorus is a refresher. He does refreshing. That's what he does. Now, there's some other people in that text. Anybody see anybody other than Paul and Onesphorus and the Lord? Oh, you're getting ahead of me. Hold that one. We'll go… What? You see the reference at the top? Timothy. Why would Paul write this to Timothy? Why not just write it to Onesiphorus? Thank you, Anesphorus. Way to go. You refresh me. Thank you. Sincerely yours, Paul. He writes it to Timothy. Why? This is not hard now. Audience participation. Yeah, he's affirming Onesiphorus, and he, he's showing Timothy how this works. If you do refreshing, Timothy, the Lord grants mercy to you, you the refresher. So Ananias does some refreshing, and Paul is saying God will grant to him mercy. How many of you need mercy? Uh-huh. This is saying, how do you get it? Refresh somebody else. Refresh somebody else, God gives you mercy. So Timothy's here. Now, who else did you say? You. How come you're in this? Where are you? Who's Timothy supposed to read his letter to? The church. Who are you? The church. This is for the whole church to get in on. And and so all of us are supposed to be observing this dynamic and put it into play. Manage it rather than trip over it. And there's somebody else up there. Um, Look in the first line. Ooh, the house of Onesiphorus. When God grants mercy to Onesphorus, it's not just Onesphorus who gets it. Who else gets it? The whole house. When you get good at practicing affirmation, the whole house does better. When the, when the water rises for your boat, the whole harbor goes up. Everybody. This is beneficial to many, not just the direct participants. It has indirect benefits that splash over everywhere. So, unless physiologically driven, depression is a signal that something in my life has become more important than God. I'm not here to argue that point. I'm just going to make it here and then move on because depressed persons need mercy. What did that previous verse say that Onesphorus was going to get? Mercy. How? By refreshing others. I had a guy who read this book contacted me. He said, uh, this book saved my life. There's one sentence in this book that saved my life. I was going to kill myself. I was suicidal. I was very depressed. I was going to kill myself. And then I saw that this book was written by a guy from Minneapolis, and I live in Minneapolis. Would you meet me for breakfast? And I'll tell you what the sentence was. (laughs) Think I was interested? (laughs) (laughs) I would love to have you tell me what sentence that God prompted me to write saved your life. And I don't know if I can find it right now. Here, one of the things a depressed person needs is mercy, and when the depressed person – have you ever felt kind of depressed, at least had the blues, felt kind of – and when a depressed person, by faith, opens his mouth and affirms others, mercy from the Lord is on the way. Saved his life this is powerful stuff. I'll try to underline the power again in just a few moments. Refreshing others introduces mercy. The affirmation ratio presupposes things, I'll hurry through this, that God sovereignly brings about ends through means. You know, if God wanted my friends to be refreshed, why doesn't He just refresh them? Well, He wants to use me as a means. How many of you after this service are going to have something to eat? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Yes, many of you? Okay. The others of you are not okay you can fa- fasting is also a legitimate thing to do, and uh, now, if the nourishment that you 're going to get from eating God could snap his finger and that nourishment would just be in you, he could do that, but he 's ordained that you pick up your fork and you shove it in and you chew it and you swallow it and you rinse it down with something he 's ordained the ends and the means there are um, people come to people have challenged uh, reformed people about evangelism, saying, why do you do evangelism? If God's elected who He's elected, you know, why do evangelism? Because He's also ordained the means. He's ordained that people would believe through preaching, through preaching. And so He's ordained the the faith and the preaching, both, the means and the ends. We could illustrate this in a hundred different ways. He's ordained both, means and ends. And He wants your friends and your relatives and your children and your wife and whoever He wants them refreshed. And the means to that is you. You're the means to that in the strength that He supplies. I'm assuming that believers are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. This is not a seminar about that, so I'm going to skip over it or just kind of speed past it. Love affirms. It also corrects. In fact, (laughs) this would be about affirming. This would be about correcting. Uh, It's not the whole thesis on correcting, but love does both. The emphasis here is on affirming, and everything can't be said in one seminar, and so I'm talking fast, and I'm not going to say everything on this subject, and uh, when I was in San Diego speaking to a bunch of biblical counselors, they asked me to talk for four hours on this, and we still didn't get it all said, so here we go. Proverbs 11:25. He who refreshes himself will himself be refreshed. This is the law of the boomerang, or the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. How many of you would like to be refreshed? Okay, about two-thirds of you would like to be refreshed. <laughs> yeah so according to this how do you get refreshed Refresh refresh others yeah refresh somebody else that's how you do it it's the law of the harvest. Um, Caution, God, not others, is the ultimate source of our refreshment. So we can look at Matthew 10, 42 to illustrate this. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. You're going to get a reward from giving a cup of cold water to one of these little ones. Now, who gives the reward? Is it the little ones? No. Who gives the reward? God is watching all these horizontal transactions. There's a vertical component. He refreshes when we serve. And you might serve an enemy who hates you for what you're doing. God rewards. We look to Him for the reward. God rewards us when we refresh others. Um, You can hardly see this. So it's the famous theologian, Peanuts. And, uh, well... What are you doing here? They say to Charlie Brown. Go on home. We don't want you around here. Who asked you to come by in the first place? Nobody. Go on home. So he shuffles off home in a funk and final frame. They wonder. You know, it's a strange thing about Charlie Brown. You almost never see him laugh. Then they wonder, why not? This is the dynamic that happens in relationships between parents and their teenagers who suddenly become sullen and become quiet and go into their rooms and close the doors all the time. Because mom and dad aren't full of good news, they're full of bad news. Affirmation ratio, uh, okay, now, now we're at the meat. All this other stuff's been introductory material. Now this is the, this is the subject, this is the mechanics of, of how it works. I'm assuming you all know how to affirm. Now look at this couple back here. She's got her head on his shoulder. Isn't that affirming? Either that or she's drunk or something. I don't know. (laughs) She's saying, I like you, and he's saying, "Mm -hmm." it reciprocates. Yeah. Isn't that affirming between them? Of course it is. You're all giving me eye contact right now. That's another way of affirming. You're nodding your head when I ask a question. Um, you know how to do affirming in a thousand ways. How many of you are married? Okay? I would wager you didn't get married without doing a whole bunch of this. You found ways to say, I like you, you're special to me, you gave them the key to your place, you gave them the password to your computer, and you don't give that to everybody. Let me tell you something I've never told anyone. That's very affirming. You laugh at each other's jokes, maybe when you don't even get them yet. Um... You want to hear a Calvinist joke? I just Somebody told me this last week. You know why Calvinists are not doing Daylight Savings Time this year? Because they did it last year and once saved, always saved. It's not that good. All right. Now, the next word is that there's a ratio about this, and I used to wonder about what is the math in this, and I tried to do read the the psychological literature on this, and there were different researchers that would propose different numbers, and I'm doing away with that and saying that there's this. The people who know you have an impression of you. It's like they have a, they have a, a, a needle on a dial that's in the dashboard of their perceptivity, and when you come in, you come in the room or you come down the street or the you call or they see that it's your text or whatever, their needle either does a little, oh, them, oh, this will be good, yeah, they give energy. Or it's, oh, well, maybe I can get to this later, maybe, I don't know. Now, we tip the meter one direction by practicing affirmation regularly, and we tip the meter the other way by an absence of it, or we accelerate it with this thing, which is correction. Now, I already admitted that we have to correct each other if we love one another. Love will correct. But if there's a predominance of correction in a relationship and not enough affirmation saying, good job, I like that, well done, that pleases me, mm, do, that, do that some more. You know, you're like Jesus when you're like that. If there's not enough of that and there's too much correction, several things happen in relationships. So this is about the outcome of your relationships. This is part of the universality of what I'm talking about here. There's a, there's, there's a continuum There's insufficient affirmation, and there's plenty of healthy affirmation. And relationships tend to blow to the left by themselves. You don't have to do anything for the relationships to go this way. New relationships, when you just meet someone, we're all glad-handing, and we're nice to meet you, and blah, blah, blah. But after we've been with someone for a while, that's all gone away. A newborn baby, oh, what a cute little darling thing. And by the time they're two years old, uh, correction, and they and they need some of that. I'm not trying to deny some of that, but the affirmation tends to evaporate in our relationships, and correction accelerates the wind. It blows relationships. If you have a pastor who's constantly scolding you, the intimacy and the warmth and the spirit of refreshment in that congregation is, is evaporating pretty quickly. In a marriage, parenting... Practicing affirmation is therefore non-optional because if you do nothing, you will drift. So you have to do a little bit just to hold your position, much less to grow in intimacy in a relationship. So the person will stop hearing your correction if all they get from you is correction. They just start to tune out your corrections because ah, you're just you know, negative all the time. You just bar this and bar that and blah, blah, blah. And if the relationship continues to have too much correction, they'll stop hearing you, not just the correction. So if... If uh, they want to know, you know, what time is that service Sunday evening? They won't ask you. Because if they ask you, you'll say, didn't you listen? It's at 5 o'clock. It was in the email. It's on the website. It's on the calendar on the refrigerator. Whatever, however you communicate. And you hear, you get another scolding, another correction. So people stop coming to you because there's this conveyor belt of correction not good enough this not good enough that and the relationship can eventually become oppositional so that if you're for something they're actually against it and this is why some teenagers sadly leave the church because their parents are for it we can fix this this is fixable You can dig out of this by practicing affirmation. Now, I uh, was speaking to um, crew, Campus Crusade staff, from five states that were gathered in Indiana, and I'd been talking about this subject, and there was a guy sitting right down over here in the front, and uh, we took a break and switched to a different subject after the break, and he wasn't there after the break. And I noticed he wasn't there. It was no big deal, but I just happened to notice he wasn't there. Later in the day at the lunch break, he came up to me and he said, I don't know if you noticed, but I... I skipped your second session. I said, well, I happen to notice, but it's, it's not a problem. You don't have to apologize. He said, I'm not apologizing. I said, it's not that I didn't find what you're talking about interesting. I found it so relevant because I have a 14-year-old son at my house, and we haven't spoken for about two years. Uh-huh. And he's a good son, but I, I recognize I'm always on his case. Have you put your bike away? Do you, are your shoes together? Straighten your collar there. Don't look at your mother like that. Got your homework done? Put your things away. I'm just, I'm always on his case. It's never good. he can never, I, I've given him the impression he can't please me. He has to walk on eggshells around me. Have you ever been in a relationship like that? And so he said, at the break, I decided I'm going to go call my son. So he called his 14-year-old son, got him on the phone, and he said, son, the only reason I've called is I just want to tell you I'm glad you're my son. You're a good son. You're sharp. And I'm grateful that God gave you to me as a son. And he said, my son started to talk to me, and he talked for 45 minutes. And I wasn't going to hang up. You see the power here? This is way powerful. When I was teaching in the public schools, I had a student, uh, I had an agreement with the administration. I was the only male teacher in this grade school and uh, so i had an arrangement with the administration that all the fatherless boys i'd take them when they got to my grade 6th grade and so i'd get all the fatherless boys and one year i got a student that i call wayne and he was he was antisocial he was he hated school he said so before he came in the door i hate school in the first day of school in the fall i hate school hated everything about school he hated people he, he just he would he'd carve the furniture he if you sat in front of him he might carve you he he might he might write on you he might write on your clothes he might cut your hair he might cut your clothing I had to isolate his chair from all the other chairs he wasn't musical so the band teacher didn't want him he wasn't athletic so he didn't get any kudos from the coach he he, uh, he had bad grades he there were it was a broken home and a messy situation and his siblings didn't like him and it was understandable and uh, he would do things like he would take a rectangular eraser and stick pins through it in all directions, and then he would toss it to you and say, here, catch. And if you catch it, you bleed. He bleed. Um, one time he took, uh, on a weekend, he took chewing gum, and he took, pushed chewing gum in all of the locks around the school and pushed toothpicks into the chewing gum. So when the custodians came to open up the building Monday morning, there was no place to stick a key in. And so they had to break a window to get. (laughs) Oh, good idea! Uh, uh, They had to break a window to get in and open up the school Monday morning. This was so. This is Wayne. So he's trouble. All right. I always had to keep one eye on Wayne. So you're going to be Wayne, okay, in this demonstration. So I've I've given an assignment to the class, and they're all working on their assignment. Maybe they're supposed to be on page 127 and doing something. And and I'm going around. They'd raise their one of them would raise their hand, and I'd go help them. And I'm always keeping an eye on Wayne. And I happened to notice that though Wayne was, was not doing the assignment, he wasn't killing anybody. And I thought, I'll take that. <laughs> so, in fact, what he was doing is he was daydreaming out the window like this, just daydreaming. And so I, I came up behind him like this, and I put my hand on his shoulder just like this. And his head jerked around like, what did I do now? Because he, that was always the case with him. He always was doing something. And what did I do now? And I said, I can tell you're deep in thought. I like that about a guy. I like a guy who's a thinker. That's it. And I moved on. And the look on his face, I can still remember it. Poor kid. It was like, so that's what a compliment feels like. That's the look that was on his face. And I just went on my business, helping other students and kind of keeping an eye on Wayne. And as I would turn... To look at Wayne, he would do one of these. What's happening? He's seeking affirmation. That's right. He loves this. He loves it. It's very powerful. And uh, I'd like to say that, you know, he graduated valedictorian and he was called into the ministry and, you know, he's, I don't know, led thousands to the Lord. I've lost track of him. I don't know what happened to him. I will say this, that... Christmas came, and what does he think about Christmas? I hate Christmas. We're dismissing the students for Christmas break, and he comes up to my desk. The students are stampeding out of the room, and uh, he has brought me a handmade Christmas card. He doesn't make Christmas cards. So, do you want me to open this, Wayne? Mm Mm-hmm. So I opened it, and I don't remember what it said, something, you know, Merry Christmas, Mr. Crabtree, or something. It was just handmade, very amateurish kind of thing. And he just stood there. Well, Wayne, that was very thoughtful of you to make me a Christmas card. I might still have it in my file someplace. What's happening is I'm gaining influence. I don't think it's a good thing for an antisocial sixth grader to hate everybody and listen to nobody. He needs to listen to somebody who cares about him and doesn't want to extract any favors from him. One of the things that draws young people into gangs, they can't get any kudos at home, but when they spray-painted the graffiti on the bridge, the gang yucked it up. Oh, hilarious! (laughs) Guess who's got influence now? The gang has influence. Do you want to have influence in people's lives? All right, now i got to hurry through. Okay, this is it right, uh, 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 right here. This is about earning the right to be heard, gaining a hearing. If you were going to write down one sentence from this whole talk, this would be it right here. People are influenced by those who praise them. Now, I could take the word people out and put persons, and that would include God. You want influence? Affirm. It's free. You don't have to spend any money to do it. Just do it. Good job. The best affirmations are done steadily. The best affirmations affirm the character of Christ in someone. And there are dozens, scores of character qualities of Jesus. He's wise, and He's loving, and He's gentle, and He's kind, and He's bold, and He's determined, and He's persuasive, and He's generous. He, there's lots of qualities. And when you see those in people, you can call them out and say, that was generous. That was dogged determination. Whatever good quality, you see, call it out. And you're earning the right to tell them that was out of line, and they're, they're more likely to listen to you if they've had a boatload of affirmation. And I think I should end there.